Welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. I'm Rob McLeod, joined as always by Brendan O'Leary. And on this episode, kind of like part two of looking at the mainstream school approach to community outreach. In our last episode, we kind of took a look behind the curtain at how Brendan and I put these episodes together on like a two-week cycle. First week, we had take our topic, tease apart, our ideas, our experiences, digest, distill down some of the things that we know. We come up with the notes for these. And then on the second week, we record them, usually in a much more succinct fashion. And uh, today is part two of this experiment. We're just going to go into the episode discussing the mainstream approach to community outreach. If you're brand new to us, or if you haven't listened to the last episode, and you're not exactly sure what we mean by mainstream or some of the other terminology we use, skip ahead to the last six minutes of this episode. Uh, Tagged at the end of this episode, there's a little glossary of our terminology. So, Brennan, discussing community outreach, uh, maybe we start back by looking a little bit at the traditional approach to community outreach in a traditional school, and then that sets the table for comparing and contrasting later. What might we see in a traditional approach in a traditional school to the idea of community outreach, blurring or blending the lines between school and the broader community around it. Yeah, just before I get to that, I enjoyed the uh, meta kind of uh, thing. You mean our previous episode? Our previous episode, that was cool. Um, And uh, yeah, a succinct version coming right up. So the school uh, is not an island. It functions within its local community. This is a traditional school. We were saying uh, even in 2021, it functions inside a local community and a global one. Traditionally, the school would have had uh, links, very strong links to the small kind of very local community. And this might involve the police officers coming in, uh, doing bike training, as you mentioned last week, still happens in, in Germany. But the, the the police coming in to talk about citizenship, if you like, or being a good uh, moral member of the community, you might get the fire safety people coming in. You might get local doctors or anybody from the community, um, local artists and so on. And, and the schools... Um, at that point, we were more or less run by themselves, always some input from the local kind of uh, government or whatever. But I think what happened is um, one of the biggest changes is that um, we talked about a few weeks ago how, how parents were kind of um, distanced a little from the from actually uh, the physical side of the school and became more kind of I guess coaches or or more connected to supporting their kids academic growth rather than the school itself and the distinction there being traditional being the helping the growth of the school itself that was the parent or community outreach role and then as we moved into mainstream that's the change that parents leave that and become more the academic coaches so basically, as the state kind of took over the school, um, this meant that parents um, and the local community really had less of a 
integrated kind of um, role. They didn't no longer were were the upkeep of the school buildings, part of the community's job. No longer were the community members playing a role that could not be played by somebody else. And we talked about how a lot of um, a lot of these roles that would have been served became either outsourced as in you'll get a professional or an expert in to do your bike safety or your your safety training, or uh, you might uh, Zoom with somebody across the world to talk about a a particular subject rather than have someone who lives down the street and all of those kind of things. Um, This kind of meant that we moved into a mainstream school where the relationships with the local community changed and in many ways kind of disappeared now we'll talk a little bit about how maybe there was a growth in connections to the global community um and as thing even things like cars becoming more prevalent kids lived further and further away from the school and especially in kind of private schools where we've worked in kids are often coming from across the city or or so and i'd say a lot of mainstream schools in britain still have you know, especially primary school as kids live relatively close, but still, I think as we dig now into uh, community outreach, it looks very different than, than traditional schools. Um, and that's also because the nature of those communities changed. There's kind of the uh, romantic one room schoolhouse that was based inside a village. And that was the, that was the support network. That's very, very rare these days. So what else uh, might we see um, as some of the aspects of community outreach in a mainstream school? We often characterize the mainstream approach to school as fundamentally serving job preparation or getting you ready for the workplace. So one of the things that we see is the community can be utilized in some places when it's efficient and effective to do so. Um, But one of the ways that it can be utilized is for job experiences for work. So you might have things like apprenticeships. You know, we're going to see Take Your Kids to Work Day, uh, co-ops, which I'm not even sure what that's short for. I assume cooperatives or something like that. That was what was common when I was going to school in Canada. It's quite possible for a year or half a semester. If you're in high school, you get teamed up with a local business and you're essentially an employee there. And ideally getting to learn and kind of be mentored by the person there to pick up those skills for whatever field of work it is that you're considering looking at. There'll be things like job placements and typically making use of the community for just general job preparation. Almost like you can kind of have your first job. You're not getting paid for it, but you're getting some school credit for it. And you don't really run the risk of being fired. I guess it's kind of low stakes employment training in some way. And I hit on this idea of the community, as you were saying, begins to get walled off from the school. And again, in the mainstream approach to education, there's this tendency to rely on making decisions about what's efficient and effective and what are we going to balance. So a lot of these community things might be one-offs and we might to some degree dismiss as being superficial and on the best side, like interesting one-off field trips or encounters with others, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to do long-term 
ongoing work integrated in the community that is still able to allow you to meet all of those curriculum objectives. And a mainstream teacher who's already got a lot of stress and time pressure put on them without the support of a much larger network or system is not likely going to take the initiative on themselves to do all of that front front end loading, all the heavy lifting to get something like that up and off the ground. Um, and we lose out on some of these things, but I would say potentially in a positive way that we can also set aside some of these long-standing traditions with the community if they're still only being done for tradition's sake. And we gave some of those examples of like every school in Canada visits the apple orchard. And what was the one in Japan? It was... They dig up sweet potatoes in the primary school. Right. And it, totally, that can be an enjoyable day. Of course, you can integrate that into your planning, but maybe that's just something that's been done and we kind of maybe or maybe not forget the reason why. Maybe it's like, well, we don't have to go to the local apple orchard or the sweet potato farm. We can abandon that and go do something else that's more effective and more efficient for our learners' needs. Yeah, of course. It's like that would have to be tied into curriculum objectives for it to be um, basically accepted in a mainstream school. And um, one of the interesting things, almost like an irony, is that, um, you know, schools were fighting to get kids in and communities and, and charities were fighting to get kids into school 100, 150 years ago because the uh, parents might need them to work on the farm or in uh, some parts of the Industrial Revolution. Um, kids were working in factories and so on, and then they came to the school, and then that there was there was no. It's like that connection there has now been severed to such a degree that the school has to artificially put it back in to say, well, actually, you are going to become a member of the, of the work um, world of work when you grow up. So we're going to give you some of these other opportunities. And it's um, it's orchestrated, it's, it's organized so that you will get a range of these opportunities rather than, oh, well, you just happen to grow up in a a family that has a farm or a farming community. You just happen to grow up in a in a, a place that is a, a coal mining place or whatever, and that's what you were going to be. Uh, more and more, it's aiming. Although uh, our friend Lenny told a very good story about the careers officer who tried to get everybody <laughs> when you were at school to go into the same. What was it? Die and some tool and die trade. <laughs> tool and die. Some kind of. Um, yeah, and the backstory work. being, there was like a two-year period where the tool and die trade was desperate for people, and there were job vacancies everywhere. And I'm not pretending that the school guidance counselors got some kind of commission, but it certainly felt like everybody you talked to, no matter who their guidance counselor was, regardless of your interest. You know, for me, I was like, oh, I'd like to be a music producer. Great. Have you considered tool and die? There's, you know, here are four programs that offer tool and die. Lots of good paying jobs right now. Yeah. And that, that's all just to say that in a mainstream school, that connection to the community is that we can use the community to get our kids opportunities. Um, and we can organize that so that it's quite efficient and effective. They'll do two weeks. So they'll do, you know, a month or whatever. 
And so it, it very much is about that, you know, resource. And that, that's not to say it harms the community. Those companies that get um, a kid who comes in and works for a little while, that can be valuable. I mean, also knowing some people who've run businesses and had like the, the job placement person there, it's um, usually a pain in the ass. But um, no, it's... Um, it, it still can be valuable to the community and it makes those connections in, in a way that makes sense to a mainstream school. And one of, th- one of the other things that's become, as these, um, these smaller, you know, old-fashioned style communities become less and less common and we uh, all become urbanized to some degree, the um, proliferation of things like the internet and, and global communications has allowed us to become um, uh, to set up communities and networks on a larger scale, on a global scale. Whether it is joining a social media area, someone who will put out questions on Twitter or whatever, or somebody who will join a Facebook group. Um, whether it's someone like Mihai that set up a uh, to aspects of um, education, or you can create your own network, your own community. So it has created opportunities of schools to find like-minded schools and for students to find like-minded students and so on. Um, even things like the unschooling network um, allows you to find people no matter how... Um, unusual your views might be or how how far away from the mainstream ironically the mainstream global capitalist society has allowed you to find those people and make your own network take your own opportunities and that's very much in line with the mainstream philosophy you don't have to be in the community you were born into you don't have to be in the place where you started you can go out there and make your own community and forge links with anyone anywhere who um who might have a similar mindset you know whether that i mean we've done you know pen pals or or letter writing or partner schools for a long long time but that's just the start of it again last week i talked a bit about a network that was set up when i first started that was a technology network with six local schools and the kids worked together on technology um this was an opportunity that wouldn't have existed 10 or 20 years before um and, and it's very much in line with the mainstream mentality of reaching out and creating those opportunities. The last idea that we had here was this idea about field trips. So we talked about field trips typically are kind of one-off things. You're not likely to visit the same place multiple times or be building some kind of long-term relationship, but it's likely connected directly to a learning expectation or an end of unit uh, culminative activity. Did I say that right? Culminative. Why does that sound strange? Culminating. Culminating Culmit- activity. Culminative. Culminative. <laughs> we call them summatives. Summative. Thank you. Uh, some kind of end of unit activity. There we go. Uh, or it could possibly also be a bonus as an extra thank you for a duty. So a typical one here in Brussels, for example, is Quite often, if you're on the student council at your school, likely you're going to have an end of the year field trip to the EU parliament to get, you know, behind the scenes look 
And of course, there's a direct connection. It's not like, oh, we're going to the, you know, the amusement park for the day and riding roller coasters as a thank you to you and sort of you're off your duty. But it's like, well, let's get a glimpse into this other area of work that is connected in some way to what you've done in the school and as a thank you for your extra duty because you've kept up with your curriculum learning and expectations and in addition took on this extra duty. So thanks. Let's go check out this cool thing in our area, in our community, a resource that, you know, we may not have found a reason for to tie it to your curriculum, but here's an, here's an additional thank you. I think the way that fits in with the mainstream mentality is that it's a reward. And I think being paid or being given a, a explicit reward for doing something is part of the mainstream mentality. So it, it probably would have been clear to the people joining that at the end of the year, if we achieve our goals, we'll take this trip. Now that can look quite similar to a uh, traditional, which would be like, we might not say it, but at the end of the year, we're all going to take this trip to the EU parliament because that's something we do every year to celebrate the uh, completion of our duties. Um, and it's another one of these things where it's like, you have to know why it's being done. Otherwise it looks the same. We're, we're, we, we all joined the student council. We all either did our duties or met our goals. And then we all go on a trip, but a uh, traditional school, do it to um, to basically show a fulfillment of duty, yeah, like an almost like an appreciation kind of thing. Whereas the mainstream would be a straight up like payment or a reward almost for like you did this and this is what you get as a reward for that. Yeah, yeah. There's more to it than that, of course, but that's it's interesting to look at it that way of how those two would um, would differentiate that. Now. There's um, there's obviously lots going on here with the community and the reaching out, but what are some of the babies or the good things that we get from the way the mainstream school reaches out to its local and global communities? So if we go back to this idea of mainstream pushing this balance between efficiency and effectiveness, one of the first things that it does is allows things to be on the chopping block. And says, well, there are some connections to the community that are just a waste of time for us. And these are just obligations and we're doing them because we've done them in years before. And in fact, there might be more meaningful connections we can make to the community or things that better serve our students if we do these things instead. So one, removes time-wasting obligations. Two, removes being limited by the limits of what your community can offer up, you know, you don't have a choice of where you're born into. You, you and or your parents probably have a limited range of where you can go to school based on where you've been growing up. There will be limits to what your community can provide. Of course, there are huge benefits and bonuses to be integrated with them. But at the same time, some environments have a wider range of opportunities to provide you with. Or perhaps you are in some kind of niche thing that you will do really well in that does not exist in your community. By removing or distilling or extracting away from the community that's within a local geographic range from you and doing like what you said, connecting with schools across the country or across the world, you can now shore up some of those gaps of resources that are prevalent in your context or 
maybe to take the positive side, you are opening up access to all kinds of new opportunities that do not exist within your local geographic community. Yeah. And added to that, as I just uh, mentioned earlier, you have the ability and maybe even the expectation to go out and create your own community um, in a large school that might be connecting with people in other year groups and other classes to form clubs and, and um, I just say niche areas of interest, but we're no longer limited to that. We can now reach out uh, around the world and make our own community to connect. Whatever it is you're interested in, whatever it is you want to pursue, there are people you can communicate with to get support in that. So our, our kids just finished what we call the exhibition, the year where they essentially each student in grade six creates their own individual unit of inquiry. Um, and almost all of them at some point reached out to somebody in the community. And some talked to people inside the school. Others um, actually went locally and spoke to people in local schools and businesses and organizations. But quite a lot of people reached out to other countries and spoke to experts, whether it was on they were looking at pollution or animal welfare or game addiction was a very uh, popular one. Quite a few kids that did that. They were they could reach out to people uh, and organizations and connect to them and uh, align with their causes. And this, again, as you move more into the progressive school, where this idea of reaching outside of your the limits of your curriculum and actually trying to enact meaningful change in your community, that's the beginning of that, where the mainstream school says, no, you are not limited to just the people here. You can reach out and create and interact with a wider community. Um, and then as I said, that field trips is an extension of learning. So field trips within your community, again, local and global. So whether that is a field trip where you physically go somewhere, there's lots of virtual field trips. There is also, uh, you can uh, invite experts into your school from the local community, but just as much you can speak to experts around the world. We've had um, yoga instructors from, the, from uh, Tokyo, like do a... <laughs> kind of a, a video lesson for kids you know we're, we're like 300 miles away or whatever and then you know the various people who've come in and done uh, speeches and, and question and answer sessions so um the the idea of field trips um bringing your lessons to life or motivating uh, you um to add on or go beyond what he's taught inside school is, is a real bonus of what the mainstream school is trying to achieve in terms of connecting to the community. I'm going to straw man this one a little bit, but we talked about how at, at face value, both traditional and the mainstream are going to do field trips. We use the example of going to the EU, for example, at the end of the school year, both had students councils, both went to the EU, both had field trips that day. One possible difference that you would see is, are there expectations on the students for work to be done that day? And if there are, you might see them in both the traditional and the mainstream. The traditional is probably more likely some kind of a like duty type exercise of like, you know, how many 
countries are represented in the EU? Fill in the blank. How many this, that, or that? You know, draw a picture of what the General Assembly area looked like, these kinds of things, where it is like a more direct sort of duty of like, well, yes, it's going to be interesting. We're going to have some fun, but you have this sort of like field trip specific worksheet to be working on here to check that you kind of understood what was going on. Whereas the more mainstream approach to field trips I've seen, students will actually have to demonstrate some of their learning that they have been working on in the school on the field trip. Now, off the top of my head, I don't have the EU example, but you know, going back a few years to one of my Canadian field trips, we had actually worked in art class on capturing textures with a variety of mediums. So trying to take daily objects and capture their texture on um, like paper or through plaster, these sorts of things. We did a field trip that we actually went for, for sort of like history or social studies pioneer reasons, because we were studying pioneers in Canada at the time. And there is a pioneer cemetery, you know, a few kilometers away from the school in the provincial park. So we went there. And we connected what we'd been doing in class to actually taking um, pencil rubbings of the tombstones, because the tombstones themselves, you could no longer read just looking at them. But if you put paper over them, used wax crayon, did a rubbing, of course, we had approval of this, we weren't destroying any of the tombstones or anything. But if you did these rubbings, you, it was still, you were still able to read what was on there. And we then took those rubbing students did and then used them the next day in class for a follow-up activity to talk about the timeline of when were these pioneers living or dying in this area. So it wasn't just a field trip of like, oh, how many tombstones were there in the, in the cemetery? It was more like, no, we're going to do something here that we've been a skill we've been practicing in school, applying it here. And then after the field trip, we're going to use what we did on the field trip within our lessons. Well, yeah, you said the word there at the end, apply, right? So basically what you've described there and what we've said earlier when we're looking at things like assessment and teaching and learning, it's that uh, the traditional, again, it's a bit of a strawman, but the traditional is more likely to be memorization and basic comprehension, basic understanding. So you go to the EU, you'll look at how many flags, you'll, you'll have some numbers, you'll have some, um, some roles and responsibilities, and you'll get a, a, an understanding of what happens there. The mainstream moves into um, analyzing a little bit more. How do the various uh, areas overlap and interact? How do they interact with our lives maybe? And then the application of that. You might take something you'd learn in class and say, well, you know, we'll watch a case study, for example, and then predict maybe how it's going to finish or um, um, have a look at basically how some of the issues that you might have studied in school might be um, being discussed in the European Parliament or whatever. So, and then, yeah, so that, I think that's a, a real difference there that the healthy and positive mainstream schools are attempting to go further up what we call Bloom's taxonomy, which are the, the various levels of understanding uh, information and the bottom kind of levels are remembering and uh, basic comprehension and then you move into into um, applying that information analyzing before you eventually you know kind of use multiple sources to create things and, and evaluate things 
Um, yeah, and so it's all tying up nicely together to say that the mainstream ways they connect with that uh, that community, it's good. But is it all good, Rob? Spoiler, it's not all good. So one of the factors that um, has consequences put on here is the teacher. As we move away from the school and a student's education being largely integrated with the community and putting more and more responsibility on the teacher to cover and assess a curriculum, this becomes very isolating for teachers because there's a lot more pressure put on a teacher. And when a teacher is entirely responsible for covering and assessing that curriculum, that might keep shrinking that even it's a lot of extra work to have to collaborate in a team. So it might end up becoming more and more of a solo mission for them to accomplish this curriculum because it's just simply easier or more efficient to not reach out and rely on the community. And then everything gets put on their shoulders to find those videos or those resources that act as substitutes or stand-ins for what may have been done in the community at an earlier time. Yeah, that's uh, one thing we've learned in the last few episodes about how parents and communities have interacted with schools. And one of the messages we've seen is the mainstream school is more and more as it's become professionalized in many ways, has cut off those um, kind of more day-to-day -day or organic connections with the community. And um, that will be criticized absolutely from the progressive side as well to say you've you're th this kind of beautiful organic authentic meaning with the local community the people that live around you the history of the place where you live and, and all of those connections and ties that go back generations in our families all lost like uh, of no relevance anymore because it's not going to get you a better score on the standardized test and because the curriculums are national or even global they cannot possibly uh, have the nuance that we need to connect to our local communities and so as much as the traditional school would see that as a loss the the progressive would attempt to put it back in to say this cannot be this isolating walled kind of garden where every teacher is in their cell and every student is in uh, these kind of little boxes where they can't get out. And it's kind of like, no, you live in the real world. And the, uh, for, for you to really grow as a human and for it to be authentic and for education to mean something, we need to start making connections to the people around us and the places around us, as well as taking advantage of the global opportunities to find other people that align with our perspectives and who can support our causes. The way the curriculum is abstracted means that there's not really any incentive for a mainstream school to reach out into the community. It's almost like we've cracked it. We've won the game. We can do this all by ourselves. We don't need anybody else. It's like, yeah, you know what? There might be some benefits to knowing who on knowing who lives around you and what resources are around you and what history exists around you and because 
you you the mainstream by making things as efficient and effective as possible may end up pretending that it lives in a vacuum or a bubble and that's not the real world and what is the purpose of education if you've abstracted everything meaningful from it and got yourself a model of education that does not match reality yeah or the reality at least of that local community and we've talked about this as a drawback of this mainstream approach could be seen as a positive also a negative that the mainstream approach essentially could attempt to do everything in-house, meaning within the school. And in theory, you could just take that school building, all of the staff, all of the students, all of the parents, just lift them up, move them anywhere else in the world. And as long as they still kept getting into the building, we could more or less run that school exactly as it exists now, whether it's in Brussels, Osaka, rural Canada, South America, wherever, Antarctica for that matter, it's distilled things down and abstracted them in such a way that it is not reliant on the local community to exist as it is functioning. Yeah, and clearly both a traditional and a progressive educator uh, would see this as a less rich version of reality because the truth is we do live in Buenos Aires or downtown Osaka we don't all live in a generic place that has um, no customs no culture no history no um, details that make, make it special Bath water, sounds grim. <laughs> dirty, dirty soulless. bath water. Soulless. Well, that, that's the thing, right? But the reality is nobody lives in a purely mainstream kind of model. So one of the things that they talk about within economics for sure is called the economic man, who basically when they're running models, they, they do things purely as these kind of models should work and they always like go to maximize profit or they're always looking to uh, follow this particular path without wavering. And it's like, well, <laughs> nobody lives in that world. So the fact is no matter how much a mainstream system might actually strive to be its own thing and to be a self uh, kind of generating system, it can't avoid the influences of the world around it. And the problem starts to happen when it tries to avoid those things. And those things are like, oh, you know what? These standardized tests, they're not actually preparing anybody for the world of work that you're actually saying. And we've said this in multiple episodes, but the healthy mainstream school would acknowledge that it does have to connect with its community. And there is a difference between community A and community B. And we do benefit from making our curriculum have connections to that. And so that's the reality that we really live in. If you do go to a different school in different countries, it will have various connections to its local and global communities. And the healthier ones will make those connections uh, connect to the curriculum 
in meaningful ways. And so that they're, they're aiming for the best of both worlds. So you have a, a, a rich curriculum that can help you towards the world of work and open up the global possibilities for you. But at the same time, how can we balance it so you still uh, create strong connections to the place you're from? So we've done it, Brendan. We've finished our final topic under the category of our mainstream approach to school. Where are we going next? We're going to take a little summer break, be off for a few weeks. But when we come back, what's the intention? So I reckon we've done about 40 sections. I can't remember when we started doing individual episodes. So I don't think we've done 40 episodes in this season. Um, But that's a lot. What we did at the end of the last transition from traditional into mainstream is we spent a little bit of time kind of getting our heads around what the general babies and bathwaters were, what what pushed or would push a school from traditional to mainstream and I guess that's what we need to reconsider again what's what's going to push a mainstream school especially a successful mainstream school it's efficient it's effective it's scoring high on the standardized test it's kids are making their own uh, goals within that framework why would it ever move into this progressive system what what does this progressive system offer that the mainstream system cannot end? What are the costs of moving into that? What do we lose? So I guess we could do a little bit of a, a look at that transition. And then eventually we have to do the hard work of picking apart what a progressive school would think about these 40 or so areas And the weird thing is that's both of our areas of interest, for sure. We talk a lot about it, but it's the area that I, for sure, have spent least amount of time in. I'm in an IB school, so it's uh, definitely got leanings towards, especially in its kind of structure and organization and and its philosophies, leanings towards um, progressive education. But it is, it is far from something like a Sudbury model or, you know, a very progressive kind of approach. And so I'm really interested to try and pick apart and, and hopefully speak to a bunch of really progressive educators, progressive in the sense that they work in a school that falls under our definition of a progressive um, mindset. And uh, how do they approach all of these things, especially those tricky things like, you know what, we still do live in a world where if you get to 18 and you have no standardized tests and you don't have that specific type of learning that you gain from mainstream school, um, how do you still interact with the world? That's just one of the many kind of things that uh, I'm really interested to looking into when we get into the nuts and bolts of progressive education. Yeah, what's on your mind, Rob? It's also the progressive approach to education is also the one I've spent the least time in or had contact with, but it's certainly where my heart and mind goes to from time to time. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with educators, students, parents, administration in progressive schools that meet our definition of what a progressive school is 
that has this kind of counselor counseled, likely horizontal approach to leadership <clears throat> or power distribution and learning from them. So this is the one I'm looking forward to. I, I think we can fill in, if we go back and do some meta episodes and try to fill in our notes about these things now, I think you and I are going to be making a lot of guesses or inferences. I'm looking forward to having a series of discussions with progressive educators to learn from them so we can fill in more of the more of the blanks with some nuance where our experience doesn't hold weight. Aye. Good times, good times. But first, summer. Woohoo! Cue up Alice Cooper. Yeah, but uh, as we've recorded a bunch, I think uh, most of the summer, we're going to be dropping webisodes at you. So don't despair, listeners. Thanks, Brennan. Bye. Now, time for the Reinventing Education, three types of school in a nutshell. If you're new to us, hopefully this is a helpful guide to navigate some of the terminology we use on our podcast. All right, so every school and every educator is in a tug of war, and we're pulled in three different directions. Each of the three directions has its own definitions about what makes for a good education. But this tug of war is difficult to notice because the three directions to education each use the same vocabulary, but each of the three directions has their own definitions for what that vocabulary means. So let's characterize these three approaches with the following names, traditional, mainstream, and progressive. And let's connect each to its relationship between a student and teacher. So traditional uses a master and apprentice model. Mainstream uses coach and athlete model, and progressive uses a counselor and counseled model. Now, these three approaches to education would agree on the surface that education has the same three aims. Those three aims of education are for occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. However, each of the three approaches to school, traditional, mainstream, and progressive, has completely different ideas about what occupational preparation cultivation of citizenship, and self-development requires. So how does each of the three approaches to education meet the three aims of school? Well, with traditional master and apprentice, we see that the teacher is an expert and knows the one best way for students to achieve academic success and meet the three aims. In the mainstream, the Olympic coach and athlete model, the teacher works to assess and create each student's individual optimal way, balancing the effectiveness and efficiency to achieve maximum academic success in relationship to the curriculum to meet those three aims. And finally, the progressive, the counselor and counseled. The teacher and student negotiate the student's path to achieve their goals for academic success to meet the three aims. Each teacher will have a preference towards one approach, while the school itself may have an overall consensus, and this is where you'll find the tug of war. These three approaches not only define how an education is conducted in the classroom, but it also informs three different directions in terms of a school's organization, its culture, and its practices. The traditional master and apprentice requires a clear pyramid of authority, 
prioritizing security along with duty and tradition, putting trust in those in authority to uphold their duty for the integrity of the system. The mainstream coach and athlete uses a flowchart with a mobility for all, which serves as a flexible meritocracy of authority prioritizing achievement along with measurable progress and transparency towards meeting specific goals, putting the results of those in authority as important for the integrity of this system. And finally, progressive counselor and counseled uses horizontal leadership like a circle, prioritizing inclusion along with individuals' needs for meaning and empowerment, putting the personal and group significance as important for the integrity of the system. We often see tugs of war between how to organize the overall structure, either reinforcing the pyramid, a flowchart, or a circle. Each of these three types of school can be done well, somewhat effectively, or poorly, and each can suit a specific context better than the rest. Here on Reinventing Education, we believe it's better for a school to choose the type of school that best suits its students, staff, and community context, and do it to be high-functioning. Otherwise, the ongoing tug-of-war between the three approaches comes at the expense of time, resources, passion, and relationships, while not even ensuring that any of the three approaches is done well. Here on Reinventing Education, we are exploring the idea of the next type of school, a post-progressive approach to education that prioritizes the integration of these three previous types of school. Why? Well, an integration approach would seek a flexible and adaptive balance of the three previous approaches as an adaptive approach to inquire into and provide what is deemed a best fit for students, community, and the system in a given context to best meet those three educational aims of occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development as defined by those involved. The integration value attempts to maximize the gifts when appropriate of each approach to education while discerning how to minimize unnecessary drawbacks that are required when in wholly investing in doing one approach. In order to integrate the gifts of the three previous types of school, we need to know what we have to work with. So on our podcast, we're digging deep into these three types of school and trying to tease apart the babies and the bathwaters of each one.